Do you know why he's called Richard Bachman? Because that is an anagram for Stephen King. Is that true? I don't know. I mean, there's not even an S in it. <laughs> I feel like you didn't think this through. <laughs> he's called Richard Bachman because Richard Bachman backwards is Stephen King. You're very good at this game. <laughs> Did you know there are other worlds in these where they all float or get a bad disease? Let's all go to Castle Rock. We can hitch a ride with Christine. It's 6 1999. Hello, Matthew. Hi, Maya. You are here to talk about um, the Stephen King classic, Running Man. Running Man. <laughs> it's called that because that's his last name. I assume so. Michael It's Running actually Man. called The Running Man. The, <laughs> the Running Man. So you, uh, you've been listening to my podcast, I assume, for years. You've been listening to me talk about it. For sure. I'm sure you've heard every episode. And I'm too scared of some of them, though, because Stephen King is a little frightening. Yeah. Well, and as I've talked about many times on the podcast before, and as I'm sure you found while reading Running Man, Running Man, uh, he's not that scary. Only in this one and Shawshank Redemption. Right. Did you find those scary? No, those are not scary. Those are right. the exceptions to oh. Stephen King is scary I did, The only book that I ever read by him that I was scared after was Pet Cemetery. You've been asking to be on my podcast for a long time. Begging, and I, I would and I, say. <laughs> Tweeting at you. This is where everyone gets their start, you know? I commented on all of your episodes saying, hey, I've <laughs> read that book too. And then finally, no one else had read The Running Man. Yes. <laughs> yeah, why did you pick that one? Because it seemed like it'd be the least scary. You suggest <laughs> another one and... I think we both thought it would be too scary. Okay. Are you generally scared of things? Like you avoid horror? Yeah. Well, I, I would say I don't select horror. I now, so I watched, I watched Get Out. Okay. It's pretty scary, but it is good, right? So I think the pro, my problem with horror movies, I also watched that movie with you once uh, and near. Was it Dead Snow? Yeah. Yeah. And you got really scared. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the one that's like, it's a very campy horror movie about Nazi Nazi zombies coming that's to right. life and you were terrified. Was I terrified? I feel like I was... I think you were confused that this is what horror movies are like. That's what I recall is that you kept asking questions about why... This is part of my strategy of not mm -hmm. getting scared during horror movies is you talk to the other people and you throw popcorn at the screen and yeah. it's not as scary anymore. Yeah. Ideally, it's during the daytime. Yeah. So what do you do when you're reading a scary book? I haven't read a scary book since I was in third grade. <laughs> I read The Thief of Time by Clive Barker. Okay. I only read it during the I also the day. don't think that's horror. Is that horror? Yeah, Clive Barker is more like like fantasy, right? Yeah, but it was uh, this particular one was called The Thief of Time and the fantasy was that the, this guy <laughs> stole time. Okay. It's the mo most precious <laughs> it does, resource. That does sound scary, yeah. Um I guess we should say who you are, huh? I'm Matt. Who what do you do besides read Stephen King books once every 20 years? Um <laughs> No, this is my first one ever, so. Oh, really? Oh no, I'm sorry. I read I've read Cujo. I okay. at least part of it. Um, my name is Matt Hartman. I, we used to work together at Betaworks. Mm -hmm. I still work at Betaworks mm -hmm. and I listened, I have to admit that I listened to this book. I did not read it with my eyes. I consumed the content <laughs> with my ears and I'm told that I am not allowed to use the verb read when I refer to that activity. Who says that? Other people in my office. I think that's okay. You're still consuming a book. It's the exact book. same content. It's not like they adapted it for a yeah. movie and then I said I read that book. Right. I think it counts. I did, mean, was it, was it read by Stephen King? No, I don't think so. Who was read it? it? I don't know. I don't know. I got it from the library. Can I just plug the library app over? It's actually not made sure. by the library, but it's called Overdrive. Mm -hmm. You log in with your library card and you can check out books. Is this an ad? It's awesome. Guys, I think this is going to disrupt Amazon. It's free. 
You just, you just, you, you, the only downside is you have to wait for the book to become available. Right. That, so I used to use Overdrive and I stopped using it because of that, because I understand waiting for a physical book from the library. I do not understand waiting for a digital copy of a book. I think it's, it's a licensing digital. issue. It's unlimited. I, I, I hear you. I get that. But it's also, I think that licensing wise, they only buy so many licenses in the same way they only buy so many physical books. Yeah. I just find it a little silly. And so you, you chose Running Man because you thought it would not be scary. Yeah, there was a movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Which did you see it? I did not watch it. Okay. I, I kind of wanted to watch it, but I wanted to read the book first, and yeah. then I didn't watch it. But during the while I listened to the book, I was picturing Harrison Ford because I think I got confused between Running Man and Blade Runner. Mm, okay. And so I was picturing Harrison Ford as the main character, and I believe that Stephen King wrote it and said that he didn't want he, he thought it was supposed to be like a scrawny. Man, yeah. not it was like an opposite. Did you just read this on Wikipedia right before I started recording? <laughs> I mean, I consumed it within the last month <laughs> on Wikipedia. On Wikipedia, five minutes ago. Okay. Did you also look at that Wikipedia mm-hmm. entry? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Any of the facts you bring up, I'm going to know already. Okay. Um. Yeah. No, it is interesting. I think. Um. It sounded like he was not thrilled with the um the movie version of the book, and they changed a lot too. So the, I don't know because I didn't see the movie. Because he didn't but... finish reading the Wikipedia article. <laughs> Exactly. So are we allowed to, on this podcast, are we allowed to spoil mm-hmm. the book? Are we, is it assumed, it's assumed that everyone read it. Yeah. Spoilers are fine. Swearing is fine. Um, so how come you never read Stephen King before? Just because you thought it would be too scary? Yeah. My dad loves Stephen King. Really? And we'd have books around. And I feel like I took Cujo and I read it and I was like, this isn't how I want to spend my time. Yeah. How have your dad and I never talked about Stephen King? I didn't realize he was a fan. Oh, he likes Stephen King. Does he want to be on the show? You should definitely have him a guest on your I'll, show. Maybe I'll, I'll like call him for this episode and talk to him about how disappointed he is that you don't read Stephen King. Is one of the features of this podcast phone a friend? Like if you ask me a question, I know. <gasps> should we call your dad? Yeah. I love that idea. Okay, oh. we'll do that. We'll call your dad. Um, so what? It, now that you've read Running Man, what do you still think that Stephen King is too scary for you? Like, what's your take? I think that there are two Stephen Kings, not just the different kinds of authors that he has created for himself, mm. but I think there is the Stephen King of Shawshank Redemption. So I knew that he had written Shawshank Redemption. But you haven't read Shawshank. I just saw the movie. You said, yeah. I love the movie. It's very good. But I think that Shawshank Redemption just shows how scary all of his other books are because you're like, wow, he wrote this book that isn't scary. He like owns the fear genre. He and R.L. Stein. Well, he does because I think he got misunderstood. It's like he had Carrie, which was objectively scary. But I think that people take his his stories and turn them into scary movies. And I think sometimes that happens even when he's not trying to be scary. Like I think that it arguably like has scary moments, but is now this like really scary horror movie with jump scares. And in the book, there are, there are a few scary points, but it's much more this like coming of age story that's like beautiful and deep and has all this character development. Like I think that he sometimes gets, um you know, trivialized into a one dimensional. That's interesting because as you say that, there's not an opportunity in a book to create a jump moment. There I don't think. I think it's more like thriller high intensity. Yeah. I will say like, I think that's why I love horror books and I don't love horror movies because I can't handle the jump scares. And in horror books, there, there are some exceptions I can think of like Pet Cemetery. I like was reading it and threw the book across the room because I got so scared. But in most cases, you kind of like you see it coming or you can like take your eyes away from the page and look at a different part to see what's coming up. Like it's much harder to do a jump scare in, um, in, in books. And I think that's why I like that kind of because thr- thriller and suspense is great. It's just when you start to, I hate with those movies where they just scare you for the sake of right, scaring you. Right. 
Well, right. And you were talking about like the horror movies that you are enjoying now are the ones that have good plots. And I, yes. that's how I feel about mo- the horror movies also is the only ones that I ever enjoy are the ones that are actually good movies that just have horror elements. And I, I think I've realized I'm more like um, kind of scary thrillers. I don't really like pure horror movies. Sometimes I go to the Wikipedia pages of oh, movies that, that are scary. Before you watch it? And no, I never watch them. I just go because yeah. I want to know what it's about. Like yeah. I know all the Saw plots. but You I've haven't seen never, Saw? No way. Okay. Saw is so good. Really? Yeah. It's because the, there's a difference between like gory horror and jump scare horror and like creepy horror. Gory horror is just fun. It's like a, you know, a guy hacking his arm off and oh, you I mean. I thought you read the plot. No, I read the plot. I was just <laughs> deciding whether like I the, agree that that sounds scary. I think you, I think it's like a fun kind of horror. That's not, it's like so over the top that you can't really be scared. I think, so I did accidentally watch part of uh, Final Destination. I love Final, that was my favorite movie in middle school. The original or one of the sequels? I think it was the sequel. It was so The sequels are terrible, but the first Final Destination is great. But to me, they have what you're describing, which is this. It's a good movie that just has some scary moments. Yeah. Oh, I even just think about, it's like Hacksaw. It's just like so ridiculous and bloody that it's. Like Kill Bill is at the extreme where that's not scary. It's like more Quentin Tarantino right, it's just gory and crazy and it's gore. Horror. And it doesn't yeah. bother me as much. Yeah. I think you would like Saw. That sounds insane to me. I think you should expand your horizons a little bit because I, I think that there is a lot of horror, both books and movies that are like horror in a fun way and not in an upsetting way. And I think we're on the same page about that. I agree. So you didn't find Running Man scary. You Not acknowledge that it, it's like an action. It's like it has Black Mirror-ish. Yeah. Kind of, but even less scary than Black Mirror because I feel like it's nothing, nothing specifically scary happens. Right. And suspenseful and it, moments. Right. And it's not even as like um, sort of dark and morbid as Black Mirror. Like, right. But I do think that, um, I think it shows Stephen King's sort of like dark side. Um, it's very upsetting and it's like emotionally horrific. Like all the stuff with his family and- mm-hmm but it's not, you never feel scared personally. You more just feel upset. Yeah, there's a couple, I mean, the scene where he's driving away from the police. Um, but that's more suspense. That's suspense. I, yeah. I don't think that's scary. I think that the the world that they have created is sort of intellectually scary when people who have to spend a lot of money for masks and stuff, and yeah. like the nose pieces actually don't cost that much. I mean, what my thing was, so this is my second time reading it. And the first time I read it, I remember thinking, I felt like it was kind of boring and like didn't really do it for me. And this time I really loved it. And I honestly think part of it is that we're going, like all of this climate change stuff is happening now. And so I was reading it through the lens of like, this could happen 10 years from now. And so much of it too. It's not just the climate change. Yeah, it's, it's like the, all the, like the political stuff. It's, and social media and, yeah. and everybody saying, oh, let's find this person. It just seems much more, I don't know if that's because you're older and are aware of all that stuff or is if the world has actually changed. Yeah. I mean, I think about that. This is definitely a non-Stephen King tangent, but I think about that a lot because I can't tell if the world is actually getting worse or if it's just the generational thing where everyone thinks the world is worse than when they were younger. It seems pretty bad. Like when our parents were kids, they didn't get a report that said that the world was going to be over in 20 years. Someone, I wish I could remember who it was, was talking about growing up in the 60s. And they were like, yes, it's bad. But from a historical context, even just that short ago, we had a president who got assassinated. Yeah. We had a candidate for president who got assassinated. Yeah, which is crazy. The 60s were. I mean, it was just, it was. It and was that's because it was both Kennedys and Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King. Yeah. And all the stuff at colleges. And I mean, there was, there was a lot that happened. We're really getting off, off topic, huh? Yeah. But I, I, I try to think about that. The other person who's really interesting to hear talk about this is Doris Kearns Goodwin. She wrote the book uh, Team of Rivals and, and a bunch of other books. She's frequently on the Sunday morning shows talking about, in a historical context, this president doing this kind of looks like Warren Harding doing yeah. that. It's just, it helps to put it into that, yeah, into that context. Yeah, that's helpful. So back to Stephen King. Um, 
So I loved this book the second time around. Yeah. And I think that it's weird because in the past when people would ask me if they should read this book, I would be like, eh, you can skip it. Like, it's not that good. I actually think it's really good. Um, and I think the thing that stood out to me was like, so similar, I, I just reread Christine recently, which I had a similar experience with where like the first time I read it, I thought it was kind of boring. And then the second time I read it, I was like, this is kind of amazing. And I think it's that no matter how stupid the plot is or how bad the like, you know, sort of the writing is in terms of how writing is supposed to work. Stephen King is so good at like pulling you right into the action for like on page one, it's like he's in the apartment with his wife and he's leaving. And it's like, he's starting that like, you don't even get the background of his life. It doesn't matter. He's like entering this thing. And I also loved the, um, the countdown of the chapters. I thought it was such a cool, mecha- oh, you read the audiobook. Did oh, they I read the chapter said titles? X days until it was like, it was like a hundred, a hundred and counting or something. And then it counted down to 99 and 98. And it was, but that, that lined up with the number of days he had to survive, I right? I, I want to say it's not day. Yeah. It just says minus 74 and counting. Like it's not actually days. It's just like time left, I think. Oh. Cause he, I don't think he actually made it a hundred days. And in the later chapters, it's like minute by minute. Oh, maybe that's from. Yeah. Of. So I think it's just a countdown, but I thought that was such a cool mechanic. Cause it really like the, <laughs> the ending is very surprising, but not really. If you think about the fact that it was a countdown, it's like, how else could it possibly have gone? Well, it could have been he survived. Is that what you thought was going to happen? No, because it's Stephen King. But Stephen King has like hopeful endings sometimes. I'll, I'll tell you what I was surprised by. I was surprised they killed his family. Once they killed his family and that I was know. true, I was like, he's definitely dying at the end of this. Do you think though? So I read it as like, how do we really know that they're dead? That's what I thought initially, but then. No, it's just that the guy told him. There was no actual proof. I thought. Think about it. I remember thinking that maybe the family isn't dead. This could totally be fake. They've been lying and, and forging videos and stuff the whole time about him. There's no proof. But then I think once I got to the very end where he's flying the thing in, I was like, oh yeah, I guess his family was dead. Yeah. You're right though. But I think a different way to read it is like they manipulated him and everyone else the entire time. Also the other people who worked there, like who's to say that they didn't just make that up because they wanted it to end this way. They didn't want him to win. Although I guess he killed the guy who ran the thing. So, but that would be a messed up like way later ending as it turns out the family's not done. Yeah. Epilogue. Running Man 2. Ooh, what if there was a sequel to Running Man that starred his baby daughter, but she's grown up in the future. That's a good idea. And now she's like leading the environmental charge and she's a murderer. Murderer? I was with you until why is she a murderer? Because she's a murderer. You know, she has to like take down the- He's not a murderer. He's definitely, he murdered so many people. Are you kidding? Yeah, but during, once he was- they were, I mean, he signed up to be a murderer, but he's a murderer. Yeah, they were self-defense. No, remember the guys in the, like the YMCA? Those were all coming in for him to right, stop Right, but that's him. not really self-defense. Those are police. Yeah, but they were all, you know, young policemen with families. I actually did think that during the thing. Yeah. I do think that there's a lot of themes in this book of like, all of these people become dehumanized. It's like mm-hmm. they're all part of this game. And it's one of those, like you think about, especially because you're seeing his perspective, but like you're you're really thinking about the, the humanity here, you know? And that guy and his mom, when they oh, go to that yeah. guy's house. That was crazy. And the mom calls the police. Yeah. I don't remember what happens. I feel well, like your mom dies, though. They both die. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. In the car chase. Basically, everybody that he crosses paths with dies. I guess I feel like it's sort of this world where I've accepted that if everyone is accepting the fact that we're going to televise the and and the eventual murder of someone, yeah, then that world accepts a new set of logics than, than our current world, hopefully. Meaning what? Which is the black mirrorness of it. Meaning, like, if all of us are saying, hey, go find this person, everyone should j- die, and we're cheering them on, like yeah. it's a, right. it, like like it's a public hanging, or, hanging or something. Yeah. It's a different era. I, I do think that's maybe an element of it is like, you know, they're all literally choking to death on the air outside. So it's like, who cares if people get murdered for the sake of the game? It's so sad. And I think that's what makes it feel really pressing right now. 
Yeah. Because I sp- pronounce that word. Presh- Prescient. I have no Prescient? idea. Presh- I don't know. Hey, if you're listening, send me a voice message and tell us how to pronounce that word. Could you CC me, please? <laughs> you can't CC someone on a voice message, yeah. but I'll play it for you Thanks. or I'll put it in the episode. Um, so the the countdown structure of the of the book, as far as I know, he's only done that one other time in The Long Walk, which is also a Bachman book. Do you know The Long? Have you heard of The Long Walk? No. So The Long Walk is a story about, um, it's also kind of like an apocalyptic future. It's, it's similar, actually. It's kind of like a game show thing where um, it feels a little bit like The Hunger Games, where these kids get drawn into this event called, I think it's just called The Long Walk. And it's all like adolescent boys, and they have to just literally walk as far as they can until only one is left alive. It's Yeah, it's very dark. But the structure of that book is that- Scary, Maya. That sounds scary. <laughs> it's not scary. It's disturbing. Oh yeah, okay. But the every chapter <clears throat> is written like counts down how many boys are left alive as you go through the story, and it's like. Oh okay, so the same yeah. kind of thing. I see what you're saying, by right? By it's the like mechanic. you see it going towards its like inexorable conclusion. That's interesting. Inevitable. What's the difference between this? I don't know this. This is now a vocabulary means. podcast. Okay, there are three words: inevitable, inexorable, and ineluctable, which I've never heard of. Inevitable means unavoidable in the context of events inexorable means unstoppable. So I think that is what I mean is like, it's, it's going towards this like thing. Ineluctable means inescapable. Hmm. Interesting. That is interesting. I'll send you this Quora article I found when I Googled this. <laughs> Could you put it in the podcast notes? Please? I will. Yeah. But I'll also include it in the show notes. And CC the rest of the listeners. Yes. In of a course. voicemail. Um, anyway. Yeah. I just thought that was cool. So, so, but talking about that mechanic, yeah. as you called it, one of the things I've been kind of like fascinated by recently is the way that people who write Mm. create sort of identification with the characters and how narrative arcs work. And it's just not something I've thought about in any job that I've had. And I wonder, I, I was thinking to myself, as soon as he started this countdown, it creates this feeling for the yeah. reader. And I, I was curious if you think that's a thought that I had was, is that kind of a cheap mechanic to make it feel like uh, there is a, something is inexorable. Yeah. I don't think it's a cheap mechanic. I think it's a smart mechanic. And I say that because he uses these things very sparingly. And I think in in the case of this book, it makes sense because from the moment he enters this thing, you know he's doomed. Like that's the whole point. They say, no one has ever survived this. You're not gonna survive it. Even if he does survive it, there's like all these things that are like, your life is still gonna be terrible. And so I think that it's a it's a good way to get the the reader feeling as pressed for time as he feels where it's like, look, like I'm not going to make it to the end. It's just about like, how long can I extend this? And I think it's a really cool thing that we don't know exactly how many days he has, but we do have this countdown. Like it's not just that the book is getting towards the end. You're like, oh shit, we're on like 18 and counting. Like there's only so much that can happen in this time. So I, I think it's really cool. That's interesting. It's like a difference between a countdown and a count up. Like the pages count up, but they could count up to anything. But when you're reading a book, mm. you see what percentage you're through it. You kind of know. Yeah. What it's, about when you're listening to the audiobook? I think you're in much more percentage oriented. Or, I actually think it's even cooler in the audiobook because you can't see how far you are. So like you're hearing the name of the chapters that's like sort of telling you how close you are to the end. Mm-hmm. I always found that interesting about Kindle books is how far are you? I don't know, 17%. Yeah. Which is a really different feeling than I'm at page 50, page 100, page yeah. 150. How many pages are there here? What? How far I actually don't like the percentage thing because I always feel like I feel this like dread when I get to 50% if I'm really enjoying a book where I'm like everything from here is like because everything's like climbing up to the climax up up until you're at 50% and then you're like okay now they're like wrapping up the story and the closer you get to the end the the more real it is it's gonna end that's true I really like books <laughs> <laughs> well so two things that relate to this book about that is one what was so cool about this book is that it ended in a way that wasn't the Disney ending 
Right? Oh, yeah. And I was kind of curious if the movie ended the same way. So the movie did not. Did you, you didn't look up the movie? I didn't. So the movie, apparently, uh, he does not have a family. And I know this is terrible audio because I just like just got so <laughs> You just rolled mad. your eyes in a very dramatic <laughs> way. Uh, I agree. I think it's really stupid. So I, my whole thing is like the thing that drove this whole story forward is that he's doing this for his family. He says it over and over again. He reiterates that this is the only reason why anyone in this sh- in this game show is doing it because they all have like something to, to lose and something to do this for. In the movie, apparently he is a soldier that gets like forcibly recruited into this, which I think is such a different way of thinking about it. And honestly, like kind of goes with the Schwarzenegger thing where it's like, he's not like a guy, like a desperate guy trying to save his family. He's like a, you know, fucking action hero who's like, I'm going to defeat the, you know, I think it's weird for him to be a soldier. Because one of the things that was cool about this is like, he's just a crafty guy. He's not like, he doesn't really have expertise in this stuff. He's just like going through sort of day by day. And I think as soon as you introduce that somebody's a soldier, you're like, okay, like he's got a playbook. Like he is used to weapons and he knows how to hide and whatever. And apparently the ending of that, of the movie, from what I remember, there's like some kind of love interest that he meets. It's maybe it's the girl who he meets in the car in the book. Um, I don't, I don't know who she is, but I think at the end he like wins and ends up with her. So just the most cliche possible version of the story. Which is like, what's the point then that like, because I think as much as I, to be honest, like I, I hate the end of this book in that, like, it's so depressing and it makes me angry at going through the whole story just for that to happen. But I also think the whole point of the story is the pointlessness of it. It's like, he kind of made a difference, but he's not actually doing anything about it. Like, it's just going to go back to what it was. And he didn't win. His family didn't win. Well, I feel like he, he, he comes is, off as a criminal, although he did kind of get like a he revolution, just, maybe starting a little I think bit. He, yeah, I think he just he, he did a couple of things I thought were interesting that were like hopeful. Right. One was the younger kid who helped him mm-hmm. and that guy's brother still live. Right. So cool, the people yeah. were interested in like, hey, actually, here's what's going on with the climate. They're still alive. Yeah. Second thing is he flies the plane into the into the uh, TV production studio or something, yeah. right? So the bad guys don't win, which I think is different than the good well, guys. Well, they don't win, but they don't lose. I mean, they die. Well, one guy dies, but it, that that's the not to say that they're going to- didn't die, you mean? Right, like it may keep going, right? This this may launch a whole new generation of more aggressive game shows, right? Like we don't know what happens. Not to make this about technology, <laughs> but I really, I, all I could think about was deep fakes. What are deep fakes? It's like when you have like the fake videos of people. Oh, yeah. Like when, like- uh They've been making these videos of Obama saying things he didn't say. And when there was the videos when he mails them in. Right. Where he's like, so he's trying to like tell the message of these, the like climate change warnings and they're like changing what he's doing. Yeah. It's pretty. And oh, and they change like what his wife looks like and make Mm -hmm. her look like a tramp. I mean, he predicted Photoshop. Yeah. (laughs) He predicted a lot of things. When did this come out? I believe it was written in 1982. That's here I was born. Also, while you're holding that book, just smell it. It smells like such a good old book. This seems like a trick. No, it smells really like, no, like open it up to the middle. Have you ever smelled a book before? Oh, there it is. How good does that smell? That's an old book smell. Doesn't that smell nice? It smells like an old library. It reminds me of middle school Mm -hmm. when I used to read books. Actually, they were all mostly sci-fi books. I know. And they're all like that size and they're like the old yellow books. So I will say that I think that the seeing, I happened to open it up on a page where it says dot, 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 minus 063. Oh, because you've never seen the book. (laughs) And and then all caps counting dot, dot, dot. And seeing that in the middle of a page is really different. I was picturing a chapter title. Yeah. And it's different. Right. Because the way it's written is like, it's kind of like one long stream of thought. They're not really chapters. They're just. Also, it says this, this, is this the actual price you pay for this book? No. For those listening, it says 40 cents. 
It looks like Matt is about to read the book again. <laughs> it looks great. <laughs> yeah. It does. It reminds me of reading, um, I don't know, those books he used to read in, in, in middle school. I'm trying to think of what it was called. Uh, Tom Swift. Mm. Read those. Do you mean like um, like hard-boiled, like it reminds me of um, like the Hardy Boys or something? The Hardy Boys, for yeah. sure. I'm also curious who's in the movie now that I can see some pictures of it. It's Yeah, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and some like babe that I've never heard of. She's not listed. Remember, we're on a podcast. You can't just look <laughs> at the book. just start reading. <laughs> I like at the end here, we get some promos for other books. We can rip out the page, mm -hmm. check off the books we want. Is it Matt, when is the last time you saw a book? Because you seem very amazed by <laughs> the physical 1997. book. 1997. Okay. Books are great. Like, doesn't it, it feel so good to hold and you've got all this extra context. You've got pictures in there. Can I tell you one other reason why books are underrated? Sure. By me particularly. Sure. Is because when you're sitting around with other people, let's say you're sitting around on a beach or you're sitting around in the living room. Mm. If you have a book open. You seem it, interesting and engaged with something. I was going to say that you seem interruptible. Like it doesn't seem oh, like I'm not paying attention right, when right, I right. put in my headphones. It's like there's a thing you can see that is people know they can still. Yeah. Yeah. And That's it's different than like I have my headphones on. Don't bother me. Which yeah. I think is a really different thing. So can we talk about the listed author of this book? I would love to. So Stephen King wrote, I want to say four books as Richard Bachman. Um, and how, how much do you know about Richard Bachman? Do you know the whole deal? No. Richard Bachman, I think that Stephen King wrote, let's say five books or so, less than five books as Stephen King. He was immediately successful with like Carrie and I think, I don't know, Cujo and Pet, like all those early ones. I don't remember what else was that early, but all, all his early ones were like these huge hits. What's the one where he, where the where the person's like legs broken and they bring them in and they stay there forever. The person's legs are broken like and they like, stay Come there in my forever. Home, and then you're in, and they try to help nurse them, but really want them to stay sick. Oh, misery. Yeah. Is that Stephen King? His legs aren't broke. I think he has one broken. That is Stephen King. And I think that was one of the early ones. I mean, I would never read that. It sounds so terrifying. It's very good. It's again, it's more of a drama. It's not like, I think I might like Stephen King now. I think that you might. I mean, I honestly, like, I don't know who could read a Stephen King book and not like Stephen King. So tell me about... Uh, so Richard Bachman, yeah. I think Carrie came out in like, let's say the early 70s or something. So he had a, a handful of books published. He was immensely successful. They immediately bought the movie rights to Carrie. He became super famous overnight. And his publisher told him that he couldn't publish more than two books a year because he was like, people are going to get burned out on you and they're not going to buy them. So he invented a pseudonym, which was Richard Bachman. And... I don't know if this is on purpose or just like what happened, but all of the Bachman books are like, I think they're the darkest, like most upsetting Stephen King books. So I think the two other ones that I can think of, one is called Roadwork. Uh, it's just like fucked up and weird. It's good. Um, and the other one, which is now out of print is Rage, which is about a school shooting that he wrote like in the 80s or early, I think it was the 80s. I think it's interesting that like all the Bachman books are like very hopeless and dark and Usually, like in normal Stephen King books, even Carrie or Pet Cemetery, you get some like some insight into the humanity of people. And in all of these other books, it's just kind of like everyone, even in The Running Man, I found the main guy kind of unlikable. He's like, he's kind of a jerk. He's hopeless. He's like not super nice to his wife when he's around her. You know, it's like you don't get a lot of um, there's really nobody to root for in the Bachman books. Um, so he ended up, I think Running Man was the one that he got unmasked for. Like some journalist figured out, like he he noticed that they used similar styles. And so he like wrote this expose saying that he thought it was Stephen King. And so I think Running Man was the last one that he did. And then he wrote a book later on called The Dark Half, which is about an author who has a, um, what do you call it? So a pseudonym, a pseudonym. Um, who gets uncovered and the pseudonym ends up coming to life and stalks him and his family. Those reasons are so interesting. Do you think that he, so a couple of things. First of all, 
I think they talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the audiobook. He really had an idea for who the pseudonym was. Who that it wasn't just oh, this is a different name, but it's me. It was like mm-hmm. in the same way he invents characters, he invented it's like an the alter backstory ego. Yeah. of a pseudonym. Yeah. Well, and in Dark Half, it is like, it's sort of like, it's the evil, ver- like almost the evil twin of the author. Do you know why he's called Richard Bachman? Why? Um, well, so Bachman comes from Bachman Turner Overdrive because Great he was music. listening. Yeah. Because he was listening to them a lot at, at some point. I don't know when. And Richard comes from, okay, so there's a, tr- there's a crime author who I've never heard of whose name is Donald Westlake. Ever heard of him? No. I'm sure he's good. Um, So he has a pseudonym named Richard Stark. So he took the Richard from that. And then in the dark half, the guy's name is George Stark. Wow. Get it? Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of layers. So he, that's how he made the name. Yeah. I don't know really about the personality. I mean, I assume he's like, he's Stephen King. I think he probably wanted like a dark version of himself that could. It's, It's just so interesting to me. Like, okay, so this is the, this really successful writer. What are the things that he can't, doesn't feel like he can do himself? It's not like he was successful for 20 years and wants to see if he could make it today. It was like five books in. And when I see people who, it reminds me of being like a famous tech founder. If there's like that person has like a higher, uh, not to bring it back, but has like a higher threshold on themselves and they feel like, oh, everyone's going to be looking at what I'm doing. So it has to be perfect. Yeah. And so having a pseudonym might reduce that you pressure, up. Yeah. which is kind of funny because that's kind of the inverse of, I, I, I've talked to a couple of people who've made this transition from like non-artist to artist. And they talk about needing permission. Feel is the moment they figured out they don't actually need permission to be an artist that like just you just do it. Yeah. And this is like the inverse of that. It's like I'm already the artist, but I want to like is it out of insecurity of would people actually like my stuff if it wasn't Stephen King? Yeah, I mean I think that's part of it, but I also given the the stories that he wrote under the pseudonym like it's hard for me not to imagine that he, you know, he's a family man, like he has a wife and many kids. And I think that um, maybe he felt weird writing such fucked up stories where there's, it's hopeless and dark and terrible things happen. So do you think it was for him? Sorry, hip. I, I, I got a little, <laughs> I was sort of half coughing. Hang on. <laughs> I'm going to leave do, this in the episode. Do you think it was for him to free him up? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think I think that it came from those two motivations. He wanted to know if he could be successful and he wanted to write as often as he wanted to. And then I think that once he got the freedom, I think that maybe it was hard to resist the like, I could be anybody like I can I can sort of like follow these dark thoughts that I have. Whereas like, I don't know if you would want that under your own name, like a a Mm. story about a school shooting. I feel like you may not want to. But it's not like they're that far off from his original kind of content, I guess, is how I feel. I think they are. You do? Yeah. Because you're a Stephen King completionist and you know every all of his work. Yeah, I've read, I, I did the math. I've read about 75% of his books and I have a spreadsheet where I track how many I've read. Have you told your listeners about the database that you built? Oh yes, they know. I have a website called Dairy Connection. I track all the connections between Stephen King books. Um, I don't know because I'm looking at it now and the, so the first one he wrote, so he wrote Rage, The Long Walk, Road Work, and then Running Man. So Rage was like the first one that he wrote. So I do wonder if that was part of the impetus for coming up with a pseudonym. Like he had this story in his head and he was like, I don't want to put this under my name. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So here's another interesting thing about Running Man. He wrote it in one week. That's crazy. Yeah. It usually takes him, I think, usually takes him three months to write a whole book. That's so short still. I know. R.L. Stein wrote books in like two weeks on average. I mean, R.L. Stein's writing, I would say, is not the highest quality. I love R.L. Stein, but like- Come on. On my, you can, if, for those of you listening, if you're interested to, to know 
how R.L. Stein feels about scaring the heck out of kids <laughs> in 2018, you can listen to my podcast, which has an episode which talks about that article. But in, in that, I learned that he publishes an article, or publishes a book every once every two weeks. <laughs> in TLDR Daily? TLDRDaily.com. Oh. <laughs> Do you want to mention your podcast while you're here? I have a podcast on Anchor called TLDR Daily, which you helped name. Mm-hmm. It's a daily podcast where I talk to somebody interesting for five minutes and they give me the TLDR, an article that they found was interesting. You can get find it at anchor.fm slash TLDR Daily or at TLDRDaily.com. You're doing a very like soothing radio voice. Is that because you have headphones on and you can hear your own voice? Good question. <laughs> I I don't know. Is this not how I speak normally? No, you're just doing, it's or like, a, you're doing like a very deep, like radio thing. Oh, I thought that was how my voice sounded through these headphones. <laughs> Maybe a little both. Hmm. That sounds really nice. Um, if you had to write a book in a week, what would it be about? And Stephen King's books um, are 2,000 words. Is that a lot or a little? I think it's a lot. Because the book doesn't look huge, but the font is small. I generally think that like an eight-hour book, audio-wise, is, is pretty doable. Oh, sorry. He writes 2,000 words a day. That makes more sense. Yeah. Because when people are like, answer this question in 150 words or less. <laughs> yeah, 2,000 is not a lot. Well, okay, so 2,000 words a day times three months is 90 days. So but he's not writing, mm-hmm. uh, presumably he's thinking about 180,000 words are his books. Yeah, for sure. Or are you backing into that? I'm backing into it. Cause I'm thinking every day he's not just typing. He's probably editing and removing things, right? Hold on. I, I found know. a calculator. I don't uh, think a calculator this isn't right. right. 180,000 words is only 400 pages. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of pages. That's I mean, way more. Stephen King's books are like 800 that pages book is long. Like oh yeah, this 250 is 200. Okay. Something. So you have to write a 400 page book in a week. So I'd want to have as much of it come from memory as possible. Okay. I think the hardest part would be finding the story to write about. And the it doesn't mo- have to be fiction. It could be poetry. Oh, any, any, was it 2000 words in? No. Yeah. 2000 words a day, 180,000 words total, 400 pages. I'd have to pick the thing I know most about, I guess. Which is computers. <laughs> you said that unconfidently. I would not say it's computers. Piano. Maybe it would be, here's what it'd be about. It would be, and it would have to be very flowery to get to <laughs> verbiage wise. I think it would be about the relationship between all the things that I find interesting. So I would be like, let me tell you about why a piano string length is a lo- is a is a logarithmic function. But and then would you just talk about something totally different on the next page? And then I'd be like, speaking of <laughs> okay. piano string lengths, <laughs> I think you should write this book. I don't think it would be very good. I think you should try. Because the other way to do it is just to write a, write about a story. Like write a, write a, if you have a story, then you can break it down to the smallest possible pieces and just keep doing it. Right. But 2000 words a day is like a lot. That's true. It takes me a long time to write a medium post. How long? 2000 days. (laughs) I think if I was going to write a book in a week, I think that I would write a book about Stephen King. Oh, that's good. That's good. I think I could easily. one specific topic. Yeah. And I think like I have a lot to say about it. Is it sad if the thing I'd write about is like my work topic? I think it'd be a work topic. What's your work? Like, here's how I think about products. I mean, I don't know that. <laughs> Do you think you can write 400 cares. words about it? I mean, pages? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that it would be that useful to anyone. <laughs> it would be like a diary. Um, okay. Well, so uh, let's talk about connections in this book. Yes. Did you find any? I don't know any of the other books. I don't know. Do you think you found any? How would I find them if I didn't know what the other... Maybe like you, maybe there's a line where they say, oh, Carrie, 
No, I didn't notice yeah. any single one of them. There's Are not. there any? No, I don't think there's any. What's difficult is I've recently been reading like classic Stephen King books that don't have a lot of connections. So I think like midway through his career is when he invented the concept of this like Stephen King multiverse. Um, so if you read a newer one, it's everywhere. But this one is like, there's nothing. What different kinds of authors do you think there are? There are also six categories of authors? Mm, yeah. What are they? There's six categories of every profession. <laughs> I think it might be true. I'm, I'm, yeah. like, I'm buying into this uh, framing. Okay. So with authors, there's um, amazing authors where every book is good and they're nice people. That's like Stephen King. Then there's people who write really good books, but you're not sure what kind of person they are. Then there's people that write some good books, but some of their books are bad. I would put Clive Barker in that category. Then there's people who um, write like okay but forgettable books so like you read their books and you're not mad about it but you don't recommend them to anybody then there's books you read because people talk about them but they're not good and then there's books that nobody talks about because they're not good what do you, i think this is airtight so i think you have two axes quality of the writing mm -hmm. and quality or presidency and both quality of the writing slash presidency <laughs> yeah. quality of the human being mm, right yes and then you have success, like sort of objective success on some other metric. So like if you are a really nice person who, who writes well, but is never famous, right? Never, never sells a lot of books. That's a, that's sort of one of your, one of your categories, I think. Yeah. Or no. Well, I think if you're a really nice person that writes really good books, you're a really good writer. Agreed. But I see, but you could be like really high up in that quadrant or really like close to the middle because. So I, I the reason why I mentioned. I don't think it's a lot of books. I think it's, I think the two axes are nice person and success. And success is like a combination of quantity and quality. Okay. Interesting. So, cause I, I, to me, those are two different quantities. And that's why Stephen King is all the way at the top, right? Cause he is super nice, lots of books and they're all good. What about someone who writes something that's more like R.L. Stein, like pop, pop writing? High, high, I would argue, high, yeah, seems like a nice guy, okay. lots of books, um, but they're not good. So he's in that quadrant, but he's like closer to the middle. You're really thinking hard about this. What about the band, the police? So there's six kinds of musicians. <laughs> <laughs> I think the police are, um, they seem nice. I think they have a lot of songs. I don't know how much they've held up. Here, here's why I ask. Cause I, I think all of these things, when you have like, when you're, when you're measuring these, I'm curious, I don't, I would never have put quantity in there. There are artists, Leonardo da Vinci painted like seven paintings or something. Yeah. And there's six kinds of artists. And I would right. argue he's mediocre. He's mediocre because of the quantity? Yeah. I, I, this is what's surprising to me. Well, I'm a Stephen King fan. So I'm all about like, if you can't produce, it's like, have you see, have you heard that um that episode of um the Malcolm Gladwell podcast where he talks about success and there's like, he talks about Da Vinci and he talks about, he compares Bob Dylan to Leonard Cohen. Yes, I heard that one. It's, it's amazing. so good. Because I love Leonard so Cohen. So he's talking about the Bob different Dylan. kinds of genius. Yeah. And he's like, Leonard Cohen takes like 20 years to write a song, but when he does it, it's amazing. Bob Dylan writes like 20 amazing songs a year and they're both geniuses. They're just different kinds of geniuses. I agree. And I, 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 was, I was, part of me was thinking about that episode. Yeah. I don't, to me, the, how prolific you are doesn't necessarily drive it one way or another. It's about how, what the quality is inside of your, how prolific you are. But then there's also the, how many do you sell? Like meaning not just one book, but like there could be a- But Stephen King sells, like he tops out the charts and he, on every single book he writes and he publishes more books than anyone else. So, so I would argue he is the best writer. Okay. You know, like no so one else can- Here's what I was saying. I was thinking, what's the pop culture version? Like this is an increasingly dated reference, but like what's Britney Spears? She hits the top of the charts, but I don't think anyone would think that she's like, that, that she is as good as somebody else who we think maybe has 
writes their own songs or whatever. Right. I think now you're getting into the ca- the category of like when you're talking about the six categories of musical artists, there's actually another axis, which is do they write their own, their own songs? And if you don't, you're not on the thing. Like you can't. Oh, so on the music side, the so what about a good singer? Doesn't count. There's two. <laughs> there's there's the one of musicians that write their own songs and the musicians that don't. So what about uh, it's different kinds of performers? You know, it's like totally. But I I, I guess I wonder if you would um, when you look at Miles Davis, he's playing if he plays someone else's piece. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, I don't like jazz. Okay, so jazz. They're not even count. on my matrix. Yeah. And then I think you have the standing the test of time as one of your axes. Right, and Stephen King holds up. Carrie and is that from about quality? Is 50 that about years long, ago. Long, it's, it's factored into quality? Yeah, I think so. All right, let's get back to Stephen King. So there was one connection that I thought might exist. Have you ever heard of the Langoliers? No. Wait, maybe. They're scary and they're Stephen King-ish. Yeah, so the Langoliers is one of his best short stories, I think, and it all takes place at the Dairy Airport. The Dairy Connection. The Dairy Connection. That's the connection to your website called The Dairy Connection. Yes, that's it. Um, but it's they... Um, they land in this airport and everything is empty. And I won't say why, but it's a really good story. It's because of the Langoliers. It, it, is, <laughs> it is because of the Langoliers. Um, but uh, so in this book, there's a whole like part of the plot where he's trying to get to the dairy airport. And I was like, oh my God, it's going to be the same one that's in the Langoliers. And for some reason, so it, it is actually called Dairy or Bangor because they're the same town, but it's called the Bangor International Airport in real life. He calls it the Voigt Airport. Why? I don't know. All I can think of is John Voigt. I think he probably is a John Voight fan. It's possible. Yeah. Um, you know what else does a great job of connecting all of their characters together is Elmore Leonard. Who is that? He's a writer who I think you would think was quite prolific, but it's a little... Boring. No, it's not boring at all, but it's very like pulp fiction. Hmm. It's uh, So Quentin Tarantino made the movie um, Jackie... Uh, Jackie Brown, which is based mm. on his book, uh, Rum Punch. That's my he, least favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Interesting. He also wrote Get Shorty. Oh, I love Get Shorty weird they're all about that all of all, and they mm. have many characters they'll just like subtly be in touch with each other which is kind of cool yeah that's cool is there anything else you would like to say about stephen king i just wanted to talk to you more you you have definitely been the person on my podcast who talked the least about stephen king do you th- how long do you think it's gonna take to edit i think it's take forever it's gonna take me a really long time to edit and i think the episode is gonna end up being like <laughs> six minutes long. 25 minutes long do you think you're going to read another Stephen King book? I am now more likely to read a Stephen King book than I was when I came in. I was came in thinking I'd love to talk to you about Stephen King. I'm so scared of him. Now, <laughs> I read Running Man. And I liked it. I would like to read another book. I already know The Shawshank Redemption, so I don't want it to be that. Although the book is really good. Ooh, Green Mile, you would love. I've seen the movie The Green Mile. It's okay. great and not scary at all. Um, okay, I will recommend some books to you. And then not have me back on your podcast? You will never be invited on my podcast again. That's fair. But you made it. I did it. You made it on the show. <laughs> um, if someone, if a stranger listening is wondering if they should read Running Man, what would you say? Yes, definitely read it. Why? I think the story is good and you care about the characters and it's not prohibitively scary and it's gripping. It's sort of a fun read. It's sort of a fun read. No, it's, yeah. That's why, <laughs> that is what I said. I'm going to put that on the, on the book jacket. <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for reading a Stephen King book and coming on my podcast. Do you want to say anything else? You look like you want to say something. <laughs> I just wanted to thank you for having me. I'm glad we got to do this. Thank you so much. It was a joy as always. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> and listeners. Bye. And you will find the dairy connection. And we can party like it's 6 1999.